0: For our scripture reading now, you can see in your bulletin that we turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We're going to focus on the very last verse in that chapter. We're going to focus on the very last phrase in the very last verse in this chapter, which would make for a relatively brief scripture reading. And this chapter is so glorious and rich. We'll back up to verse 13 and see the case that Paul is making throughout this chapter that leads him to conclude as he does with an affirmation of Christ's death and resurrection. So, Romans 4, beginning at verse 13, hear now the word of God. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, And calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also, It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead our Lord Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So this is God's word. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Our Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul who wrote these things. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who carried him along so that these words that he wrote are your word to your people throughout the ages, including this age, this day, this morning, this room, right here and right now. And so we pray that you would grant us again ears to hear your voice speaking to us Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Every once in a while, you can find yourself in one of those situations, admittedly one of those slightly awkward situations, where you're surrounded by a bunch of people who are cheering for some reason, applauding, rejoicing, celebrating, but you're not entirely sure exactly what it is that everybody's cheering about. And you don't want to look like that one guy in the room who doesn't get it. So you just start cheering too, and applauding, rejoicing, and celebrating, along with everybody else, at the same time that you're leaning over and whispering to the guy next to you, What are we celebrating? Why are we cheering right now? Maybe you looked away from the game at just the moment when the home team scored. Or maybe you do know what happened that's led everybody to cheer and rejoice and celebrate, but you're not entirely sure what it means. You know what happened, but you don't grasp the significance of it, and so you're still left asking... Why is this such good news? I don't get it. Maybe the boss makes an announcement at work and everybody seems to be really pleased about the new policy, but you just started working there, so you don't know the backstory. You don't know what this means. You don't don't grasp the change, the new beginning that this represents. makes it hard to rejoice. Well, it's possible to feel that way about the resurrection of Jesus. Around the world, throughout the ages, for nearly 2,000 years, Christians have been celebrating the resurrection of Jesus from the dead like it's the best thing that ever happened, which it is. But it's possible, even as a Christian, to be left wondering deep down, why is this such good news? What is it exactly about Jesus' resurrection that makes it worth celebrating like this? More to the point, you can be left wondering, why is this such good news for me personally? This event that happened so long ago, this stupendous event, what does it mean to me personally? How does it actually Touch down in my own life and experience in such a way that I'm led to rise up and cheer as well. And you want to be able to answer that question. You don't want to celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead just because everybody else in the room is doing it and you happen to find yourself in their company. No, you want to get it. You want to understand. You want to rejoice. You want to cheer with understanding. And Romans 4, verse 25, that last verse, even that last phrase can help you in that way. Romans 4, 25 helps us to understand why Jesus' resurrection really is the best news ever. In part because... It ties together his resurrection from the dead and the reality of our own justification. And remember what justification refers to. We'll dig into this a bit more deeply in just a moment. But but it refers to our being forgiven and even positively accepted by God the judge. Romans 4.25, that last verse, that last phrase, ties together his resurrection and our justification. That is one beautiful gospel double dose. And here it is in Romans 4.25. So let's take a look. So we are focusing on this last verse, that one phrase in, in verse 25. But notice the buildup. Quick overview of what leads Paul to arrive there. This is what I just read for us, backing up to verse 13. Paul's making the case in this chapter that Father Abraham was justified. He came to experience that glorious gospel blessing by faith, as a gift that he received by faith and not by works, not something that he'd earned like a wage for turning in. His good works. And Paul says Abraham's faith really stood out when he was an old man. And he had to believe the promise that he was going to become a father even when he was an old man. Which meant, in a sense, believing that God is able to give life to the dead. Because God is the God of resurrection. And then Paul says we're Abraham's children when we believe like that when we believe the way Abraham did. And then Paul says, we're justified by faith when we believe like that, the way Abraham did. And so that's why... Verse 22, he says, Faith was counted to him, that is to Abraham as righteousness. But then Paul keeps going. Verse 23, But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. So there's the reality of Jesus' resurrection. The Father raised the Son, and our faith is in him. And that leads Paul to to say what he says next. Verse 25. Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So there you've got both Jesus' death and resurrection in view. And and notice that, that last phrase especially, Jesus was raised... For our justification. All of this Abraham talk in chapter 4. All of this talk about what Abraham means to us today. It leads Paul there in the end. Jesus was raised for our justification. Now, a point to make, by the way. It would be just as true to take verse 25 and to say it the other way around. It would be perfectly true to say that Jesus was delivered up to death for our justification and raised for our sins. Paul could have put it that way. In other words, it's not the case, as we think about this verse, verse 25, it's not the case that Jesus' death and resurrection are exclusively associated with sins and justification respectively. Paul could have put it the other way around. We can only guess as to why he put it the other way around. Maybe it's simply a convergence in his own mind of these two realities that he keeps coming back to again and again in the chapter, resurrection and justification. And so it's perfectly natural that he lands there by tying those two together in the way that he does. It could be. In any case, that's how Paul puts it here. Jesus was raised for our justification. Now to unpack that, and that is eminently worth unpacking, let's take it in these three points or headings. First of all, the idea of resurrection. And then second of all, we'll think about justification. And then third of all, we'll think about the blessed tie that binds them. So that's how we'll make our way over these next few minutes. Resurrection, justification, justification, And the tie that binds them. What it is about them that they're connected. So first of all, let's think about resurrection. Let's think about what Jesus' resurrection amounted to on that third day after he died. This is a point that we've made before, but it's good to make it again. I'm eager to make it again. The point is this. When God raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus didn't just come back. He didn't come back to the same kind of physical life that he was experiencing before. When God raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus passed through death into a kind of physical life that even he himself had never experienced before. To borrow Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus' body was laid down perishable. In dishonor, in weakness, a natural body, but it was raised imperishable, in glory, in power, in the Spirit of God. In his resurrection from the dead, Jesus entered into a realm of physical experience, bodily experience, that was qualitatively different. From what he'd experienced before. So it wasn't just restoration, getting back to the way things were. It was a kind of return, we we can say that. His disciples got him back. They got him back from the dead, we can put it that way. But, But it wasn't just restoration, it was restoration plus. This was full blown resurrection. And this was unprecedented. In the Bible before this, there were people who had been brought back from the dead. Jesus himself brought Lazarus back from the dead. John 11, right? Lazarus' body is in the tomb. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes forth. Lazarus comes back. But that's just it. Lazarus came back. Period. Came back to mortal life came back to the way things were. Lazarus was raised that day, only one day later to fall again, to die again. Lazarus came back to mortal life. But that's the difference. Jesus came back, but he came back as one who had passed into immortal life. Jesus' resurrection was his entrance into glory. Jesus was the pioneer. Jesus went first into the world to come, into the body to come. Here's one way of illustrating this. This idea of restoration plus an illustration from the annals of classic television. Steve Austin, astronaut, a man barely alive. Come back with me now to the $6 million man. We actually played this video for our kids not too long ago, for better or for worse. Maybe that's why it's on my mind. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I know some of you remember. Steve Austin, astronaut, a man barely alive. Why? Because of a horrible accident that happened upon reentry and return to Earth. But then what happens? In the aftermath of that horrible accident, they don't just keep him alive. They don't just restore him to good health, the way he'd been. No, no. Availing themselves of the latest technologies, they make him better than he was before. I know some of you can recite this with me. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to make the world's first bionic man. Steve Austin will be that man. Better than he was before. Better. Faster. Stronger. And then you cue the TV theme. And he runs. Man, does he run fast. It wasn't enough just to restore him. Just to get him back to where he's been. No, they took, the, they took him past that. Into a physical realm that he himself had never inhabited. Better. Stronger. Faster. That is just a pale analogy to what we've got in the resurrection of Jesus, but it is an analogy. It wasn't enough for the sake of our souls, as those needing a savior. It wasn't enough just to restore Jesus, just to get him back to where he'd been. God the Father, by God the Spirit, took God the Incarnate Son, passed that into a physical realm that He Himself had never inhabited but not by resorting to non-human modifications. Instead, by taking humanness and raising it higher than it had ever been, which is better by far. That's resurrection. You get glimpses of this in the Bible even before you get to Jesus in the Bible. You get pictures and analogies of what resurrection amounts to. Think about Israel's experience in the Old Testament. It's the same pattern. They go down into Egypt. They end up enslaved, and that is a kind of death. They've gone down into death. So the question becomes, what next? What does the future hold? Is there any kind of recovery from that? When God brought Israel out of Egypt, Israel didn't experience mere restoration. God didn't just restore them to what they'd been before. What they'd been before when they went down into Egypt was an extended family of about 70 people who'd been living on a land that wasn't even there. God didn't restore them to that. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, he brought them out, well, better than they were before. Brought them out as a people that had become as numerous as the stars in the sky. And he did eventually restore them to that land where they'd lived. But now it was going to be their land. Full of cities they didn't build. Cisterns they didn't dig. Vineyards they didn't plant. This was no mere restoration. This was restoration. Plus, this was glory. This was, in its own way, resurrection that pointed forward to the real deal that would come in time. So that's our first point here this morning. If we're going to understand, if we're going to grasp, if we're going to cheer as we should, then we need to understand what Jesus himself experienced in his true humanity when he was raised. Full-blown resurrection. So that's first. That brings us to our second, which is justification. Same thing. If we're going to grasp this, if we're going to rise up and cheer and rejoice, we need to understand the reality of justification, that aspect of the gospel that that we receive when we believe. Our shorter catechism asks the momentous question, what is justification? And our catechism gives this answer. Quote, Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. Listen to it again. Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. What's important to notice about that definition, and it is a true and biblical definition, is that it's got those two aspects of it. Forgiveness, but also acceptance as righteous. Forgiveness of sins, but also positively acceptance as righteous. J.I. Packer puts it this way. He says, quote, justification is forgiveness plus Justification signifies not only a washing out of the past, but also acceptance and the gift of a righteous man's status for the future. End quote. So I was saying before under our first heading that resurrection is restoration plus. It's better than what we might think. Well, justification is too. Justification is forgiveness plus. Better than we might think. Today's whole sermon is plus, plus, plus. Resurrection is restoration plus, and now we're adding this one: justification is forgiveness plus. The idea is this: when somebody comes to believe in Jesus, among the many glorious things that happen in that glorious life-changing moment, one of them is this: something legal happens, something courtroomish. Happens. Imagine a courtroom scene when a person first comes to believe in Jesus. God the judge is presiding in his heavenly courtroom and he pronounces the verdict. I forgive you all your sins, plus I regard you as perfectly having passed the test of obedience that I placed upon you. Forgiveness and acceptance. That's justification. Here's an illustration. Father tells his child. He says, make your bed every day this week. And as a reward, a reward far beyond making your bed every week, every day, by the way, I'll take you to bush garden. And the child starts well. Makes his bed on Sunday. Sunday. Makes it on Monday. I mean crisp corners. Makes it on Tuesday. But then his father goes in on Wednesday. And instead of making his bed, the child has torn open his pillow. Feathers everywhere. He's tossed the sheets all over the place. The room's a mess. Rebellion. Test failed, to put it mildly. Well, at the end of the week, the father sits him down. It's judgment time. The father is presiding in his domestic courtroom. How is he going to handle it? Well, forgiveness, I hesitate to say mere forgiveness because forgiveness is glorious. But you get the idea. Mere forgiveness would be to say in that moment, I forgive you for what you did. I'm not going to treat you as your sins deserve. I won't punish you. But as far as going to Bush Gardens is concerned, as far as the test is concerned, I'll let you try again. I'll give you another shot, starting tomorrow. It's a new week. Let's see if you can make it the whole week this time and pass the test and get that trip. Now, that would be merciful to respond that way. Forgiveness. But notice, forgiveness by itself leaves the test unpassed. That's still hanging in the balance. The father can say to his child, I regard you as if you didn't do what you did on Wednesday when you tore everything up. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he'll also regard the child as if he made it all the way to Saturday and passed the test. That's still hanging in the balance. That's still uncertain. Forgiveness is great. But forgiveness by itself leaves the test unpassed. Justification is greater. Justification is forgiveness Plus, justification would be to say, yes, I forgive you for what you did. I'm not going to treat you as your sins deserve. I won't punish you. And plus, your sister did make her bed every morning this week and I'm willing to regard her obedience in your place. I'm not going to give you another shot to see if you can do it. I'm going to treat you as if you already did and made it all the way to Saturday because she did it for you. Congratulations, you passed the test. Let's go to Bush Gardens, and yes, your sister's coming to Say thank you. So it's not just forgiveness. It's forgiveness plus. It's not just I'll regard you as if you didn't do that wrong thing that you did. It's also plus I'll regard you as if you'd gone all the way and done everything that I told you to do. That's justification. And the point is, when a person first comes to believe, that's what they experience. That's what God does. It's not something you can feel in the sense that you're changed within, but it's a verdict that God pronounces. That's justification. And that's the key to being reconciled to God, being at peace with God after all. So... So far, it's been plus, plus, plus. First point, resurrection is restoration, plus. Second point was, justification is forgiveness, plus. And now that brings us to the third and final point, which is, what's the tie? Paul says here, Jesus was raised for our justification. There's there's some kind of cord that connects these two some kind of connection between them. Jesus had to be raised in order for us to be justified. And so the big question becomes, why? What is this indispensable connection between them? Well, the connection is this. In order for us to be justified, it had to be the case that the one who gained our justification for us by his life and death, it had to be the case that he then went and appeared before God the judge alive, wholly alive gloriously alive, alive as a whole human being in order to present to God what he had done. And that's because it's only right, it's only just for God to justify us if such a Savior is right there in the very presence of God in order to represent him. He couldn't stay dead. If he stays dead, if death holds him and holds him forever, there can't be any justification at that point. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I put the verse there in your bulletin. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. No forgiveness plus acceptance. If he's dead forever, so is the prospect of our being forgiven and accepted. The connection is that there can only be justification. If the one who gained it for us fully lives and represents us in that courtroom. Who presents himself as a way of making the case that our justification would be just after all. Again, it's like Israel's experience in the Old Testament. Think about Israel's sacrificial system. In the Old Testament, when it was time for the priest to make atonement for the people's sins... Shedding the blood of those sacrificial animals was only step one. That was only step one. There was more to do. There was a step two. Step two was the priest then going into the very presence of God with that blood, representing the people as one who was fully one of them and presenting to God what he had done on their behalf as one who lives. Jesus is a priest like that, but he's even better. He was raised from the dead so that he could be that priest who goes into the very presence of God in heaven. And the blood that he presents is his own. The obedience that he presents for our justification is his own. Jesus goes into the very presence of God in heaven as one who himself had passed the test that he had been put to. And his resurrection was his own vindication. He goes into the presence of God with all that he did. And brothers and sisters, that is the ground of our justification. Not just something that happened, but a living, a gloriously living person, now robed in our nature, who takes and presents what happened, what he did when he died. So this is personal. What God gives us in the gospel isn't just a collection of discrete things. Like one gift after the next that you get on your birthday. Or one egg after the next that you find in the yard. What God gives us in the gospel is his son who lives in our nature. And it's in union with the Son by faith that we receive the gift of justification when we first believe. It's very personal. It's the risen Christ and only the risen Christ who's gone to God with his own blood for our sins and with his own obedience for our blessing. And therefore, it's only by faith in the risen Christ that we can experience forgiveness plus acceptance. Which is what justification means. Blessed be the tie that binds Resurrection and justification. And it's in the person of Christ, because of who he is and what he did, that they are bound. So let me encourage you this morning. Let let me let me challenge you today. As we take all of this to heart, resurrection, justification, the tie that binds. Make sure in your own mind. And, 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 and work on this, nurture this if you have to. Make sure in your own mind that you've got a grasp of just how grand the gospel is. Don't settle for a truncated gospel. First of all, don't settle for an understanding of resurrection that falls short, that reduces it to mere restoration. It's more, it's better. It's restoration plus It's unprecedented entrance into glory. And then second, don't settle for an understanding of justification that reduces it to forgiveness. It's more, it's better, it's forgiveness plus, it's acceptance too, it's probation past. This is what our souls ache for, both of these. The prospect of higher life, resurrection, and the prospect of being reconciled finally, everlastingly reconciled with God, justification. Our souls ache for this. And so your soul will only be satisfied if it's, if it's stretched to take all of this in. The gospel's so much better than you might think. Let your thinking rise up and meet it. And it will if you fix your eyes on Christ in whom both of these things are bound. Fix your eyes on him who was raised from the dead. Look by faith to the risen one in whom is your justification. Feel your heart and mind stretching to take it all in. At that point, that's when you're able to rejoice in Jesus' resurrection with understanding. That's when you have an answer to the question, why is everybody cheery? And in your life, there, there may be a... A young disciple, there may be a new believer who's wrestling with that very question. And they're leaning over to you, saying, why is everybody cheering? Can you help me to understand what's so great about this? Because I'm not sure I'm getting it right now. Why is everybody cheering? And how blessed they'll be. And you will be too, to have an answer for that question. There's no question. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a Christian doctrine that divides the world today. And it's in, in its own way, justification by faith is as well. These doctrines divide and they always have. But brothers and sisters, are we not the most blessed of all peoples to stand where we stand? to stand by faith, justifying faith in the Son of God who was raised to life everlasting, and by that justifying resurrection faith to be numbered among the children of Abraham. What a glorious place to be. Jesus lives, and Abraham does too. For our God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And therefore we live too. For now ours is a faith like Abraham's. Blessed be the tie that binds. And amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do rejoice in you this day as the one who is raised, not merely restored, but raised to unprecedented glory. And so we rejoice in the resurrection, and we do so. Because among other things, it means our justification. Not merely forgiven. But forgiven plus accepted by God the judge who put us to the test. You passed the test for us. Hallelujah. And now as the risen one, you represent us at the Father's right hand. So that our justification is secure. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless us this day, this first day of the week, that we might stretch our hearts and minds again and grasp these things more fully so that we might understand in a new way what all the cheering is about and enter in. And we pray these things for your glory among us. Amen.